Hello, my name is Zach. Welcome to LitCast. I'll be reading lines 1321 through 1491 in Beowulf. Then Hrothar, the shielding's helmet, spoke. Rest. What is rest? Sorrow has returned. Alas for the Danes. Ashir is dead. He was Ermenlaf's elder brother and soulmate to me, a true mentor, my right-hand man when the ranks clashed and our boar crest had to take a battering in the line of action. Ashir was everything the world admires in a wise man and friend. Then this roaming killer came in a fury and slaughtered him in Herod. Where she is hiding, glutting on the corpse and glorifying in her escape, I cannot tell. She has taken upon the feud because of last night when you killed Grendel, wrestled and racked him in ruinous combat, since for too long he had terrorized us with his depredations. He died in battle, paid with his life, and now this powerful other one arrives, this force for evil driven to avenge her kinsman's death, or so it seems to Thanes in their grief. In the anguish, every Thane endures at the loss of a ring-giver, now that the hand that bestowed so richly has been stilled in death. I have heard it said by my people in Hall, counselors who live in the upland country, that they have seen two such creatures prowling the moors, huge marauders from the, some other world. One of these things, as far as anyone ever can discern, looks like a woman. The other, warped in the shape of a man, moves beyond the pale bigger than any man, an unnatural birth called Grendel by country people in former days. They are fatherless creatures, and their whole ancestry is hidden in a past of demons and ghosts. They dwell apart among wolves on the hills, on the windswept crags, and the treacherous keshes, where cold streams pour down the mountain and disappear under mist and moorland. A few miles from here, a frost-stiffened wood awaits and keeps watch above a mirror. The overhanging bank is a maze of tree roots mirrored in its surface. At night, something uncanny happens. The water burns, and the mirrored bottom has never been sounded by the sons of men. On its bank, the heather stepper halts. The heart in flight from pursuing hounds will turn to face them with fire-set, firm-set horns and die in the wood rather than dive beneath its surface. That is no good place. When wind blows up and stormy weather makes clouds scud and the skies weep out of its depth and dirty surge, it's pitched towards the heavens. Now help depends again on you and on you alone. The gap of danger where the demon waits is still unknown to you. Seek it if you dare. I will compensate you for settling the feud as I did the last time with lavish wealth, coffers of coiled gold, if you come back. Beowulf, son of Egthau, spoke. Wise sir, do not grieve. It is always better to avenge dear ones than to indulge in mourning. For every one of us, living in this world means want means waiting for our end. Let whoever can win glory before death. When a warrior is gone, that will be his best and only bulwark. So arise, my lord. And let us immediately set forth on the trail of this troll dam. I guarantee you, she will not get away. Not to dens underground, nor upland groves, nor the ocean floor. She'll have nowhere to flee to endure your troubles today. Bear up and be the man I expect you to be. With that, the old lord sprang to his feet and praised God for Beowulf's pledge. Then a bit and halter were brought for his horse with the plated mane. The wise king mounted the royal saddle and rode out in style with a force of shield-bearers. The forest paths were marked all over with the monster's tracks. Her trail on the ground, wherever she had gone across the dark moors, dragging away the body of Thane, of that Thane, Hrothar's Beth counselor and overseer of the country. So the noble prince proceeded undismayed up fells and screes along narrow footpaths and ways where they were forced into single file, ledges on cliffs above layers of water monsters. He went in front with a few men, good judges of the lie of the land, and suddenly discovered the dismal wood, mountain trees growing out at an angle above 
gray stones, the bloodshot waters surged underneath. It was a sore blow to all of the Danes, friends of the shootings, a hurt to each and every one of the noble company when they came upon Ashir's head at the foot of the cliff. Everybody gazed at the hot gore, kept wallowing up, and an urgent war horn repeated its notes. The whole party sat down to watch. The water was infested with all kinds of reptiles. There were writhing sea dragons and monsters slouching on slopes by the cliff, serpents and wild things such as those that often surface at the dawn to roam the sail road and doom the voyage. Down they plunged, lashing in anger at the loud call of the battle budge, but bugle. An arrow from the bow of the great chief got one of them as he surged to the surface. The seasoned shaft stuck deep in his flank, and his freedom in the water got less and less. It was his last swim. He was swiftly overwhelmed in the shallows, prodded by barbed boar spears, cornered, beaten, pulled up on the bank, a strange lake berth, a loathsome catch, and men gazed at it in awe. Beowulf got ready, doned his war gear, indifferent to death, his mighty hand forged, fine webbed mail, would soon meet with the menace underwater. It would keep the bone cage of his body safe. No enemy's class could crush him in it. No vicious arm lock choke his life out either. To guard his head, he had a glittering helmet that was due to be muddied on the mere bottom and blurred in the upswirl. It was of beaten gold, princely headgear, hooped and hasped by a weaponsmith who had worked wonders in days gone by and adorned it with boar shapes. Since then, it had resisted every sword, and another item lent by Unferth at the moment of need was of no small importance. The Brehan handed him a hilted weapon, a rare and ancient sword named Harating. The iron blade with its ill-bodied pattern had been tempered in blood. It had never failed the hand of anyone who hefted it in battle, anyone who had fought and faced the worst in the gap of danger. This was not the first time it had been called to perform heroic feats. When he lent that blade to the better swordsman on earth, the strong-built son of Eggclaf could hardly have remembered the ranting speech he had made in his cups. He was not man enough to face a turmoil of a fight underwater and and the risk to his life. So there he lost fame and repute. It was different for the other, rigged out in his gear, ready to do battle. Beowulf, son of Egthau, spoke, Wisest of kings, now that I have come to the point of action, I ask you to recall what we said earlier, that you, son of Halfdane and gold friend to retainers, that you, if I should fall and suffer death while serving your cause, would act like a father to me afterwards. If this combat kills me, take care of my young company, my comrades in arms, and be sure also, my beloved Hrothar, to send Hyglek the treasures I receive. Let the lord of the Geats gaze on the gold. Let Hrethel's son take note of it and see that I found a ring giver of rare magnificence and enjoyed the good of his generosity. And Unferth is it to have what I inherited. To that far-famed man I bequeath my own sharp-owned, wave-sheened wonderblade. With Hrething I shall gain glory or die. From what I read, Hrothar is talking, and he's stating that Ashir, one of his right-hand men, was just killed yesterday after Beowulf had killed Grendel. Uh, previously in the reading, you know that the creature that took Ashir was actually Grendel's mother. So Grendel's mother took Ashir and carried him away. Hrothar is t- talking to Beowulf as he is summoned. And tells him all these things and about this this creature. He begins to tell him that this creature lives in a a very bad area and that 
they are fatherless creatures, and their ancestry is hidden in past of demon and ghosts. He also states that she lives in a frost-stiffened wood, and there's a lot of evil in that area, and that the water burns, and that animals do not like the water, and no one has ever gone to the bottom of where she lives, which appears she lives in a in the water says that is no good place. Um, Arathar asks Beowulf for help in order to, I guess, avenge the death of Ashir. And Beowulf accepts. And Arathor promises two chests of gold, as well as lots of lavish wealth when you come back. So Beowulf speaks and he accepts and says that uh, Grendel's mother will not get away and that he will avenge the death of Ashir. And with that, uh, the king, Hrothor, praised God for Beowulf's pledge. Then Bit and Halter were brought for his horse and they began to saddle up and they began to follow the tracks of Grendel's mother. And they find the tracks and on the way there they find a piece of Ashir his head at the foot of the cliff and everybody stares at it at the, the, at the gore. And then they continue to walk past into the, the evil layer of this woman. And they see all kinds of reptiles in the water that burns. And one of the men shoots an arrow at one of these animals as it dies uh, right after that, Beowulf begins to get ready to fight Grendel's mother, and he gets his a blade called Hrunting, which is an ancient sword that is very magical and has never lost a battle. Uh, Beowulf actually gives the sword to Unferth, the dude that was like ripping on him for the swimming competition, but Unferth declines and. He lost a lot of fame and repute because of that. So Beowulf straps up and takes the sword and gets ready to go. And then he also asks the king to give the treasures to High Gaelic, which I believe could be his lover. And he says to treat him as if he was his son. And then at the end, he says, with hunting, which is the sword, I shall gain glory or die, which means he's going in to fight. Grendel's mother. Hello, this is Jackson, and welcome to LitCast. Today, I will be reading lines 1,492 to line 1,650. After these words, the prince of the Weathergeats was too impatient to be away and plunged suddenly. Without more ado, he dived into the heaving depths of the lake. It was the best part of a day before he could see the solid bottom. Quickly, the one who haunted those waters, who had scavenged and gone for her gluttonous rounds for a hundred seasons, sensed a human observing her outlandish lair from, abo from above. So she lunged and clutched and managed to catch him in her brutal grip. But his body, for all that, remained unscathed. The mesh of chainmail saved him on the outside. Her savage talons failed to rip the web of his war shirt. 
Then once she touched the bottom, that wolfish swimmer carried the ring-mailed prince to her court so that all of his courage he could never use, the weapons he carried, and a be bewildering horde came at him from the depths, droves of sea beasts who attacked with tusks and tore at his chainmail in a ghastly onslaught. The gallant man could see he had entered some hellish turnhole, and yet the water did not work against him because of the hall roofing held off the force of the current. Then he saw firelight, the gleam and a flare-up, a glimmer of brightness. The hero observed that the swamp thing from hell, the tarn hag in all her terrible strength, then heaved his war sword and swung his arm. The decorated blade came ringing and singing on her head, but he soon found his battle torch extinguished. The shining blade refused to bite. It spared her and failed the man in his need. It had gone through many hand-to-hand -hand fights and had hewed the armor and helmets of the doom, but here at the last but here at last, the fabulous powers of that heirloom faded. Hygelac's kinsman kept thinking about his name and, f and fame. He never lost heart. Then, in a fury, he flung his sword away. The keen inlaid worm loop patterned seal was hurled to the ground. He would have to rely on the might of his arm. So must a man do who intends to gain enduring glory in combat. Life doesn't cost him a thought. Then the prince of the Wargeats, warming up to this fight with Grendel's mother, gripped her shoulder and laid about him in a battle frenzy. He pitched his killer opponent on the floor, but she rose quickly and retaliated, gripping him tightly in her grim embrace. The sure-footed fighter felt daunted. The strongest of warriors stumbled and fell, so she pounced on him and pulled out a broad, wet, wetted knife. She would now avenge her only child. But the mesh of chainmail on Beowulf's shoulder shielded his life turned the edge and tip of the blade. The son of Ecthiao would have surely perished, and the Geats lost their warrior under, a, under the wide earth had the strong links and locks of his war gear not have helped to save him. Holy God decided the victory. It was easy for the Lord, the ruler of heaven, to redress the balance once Beowulf got back up on his feet. Then he saw the blade that boded well, a sword in her armory, an ancient heirloom from the days of the giants, an ideal weapon, one that any warrior would envy but so huge and heavy itself that only Beowulf could wield it in battle. So the shielding's hero, hard-pressed and enraged, took a firm, hold, a firm hold of the hilt and swung the blade in an arc, a resolute blow that bit deep into her neck bone and severed it entirely, topping the doomed house of her flesh to the floor. The sword dripped blood. The swordsman was elated. A light appeared and the palace brightened the way the sky does when heaven's candle is shining clearly. He inspected the vault, with sword held high, its hilt raised to guard and threaten, Hygelac Thane, scouted by the wall in Grendel's wake. Now the weapon was to prove its worth. The warrior determined to take revenge for every gross act Grendel had committed, and not only for that one occasion when he'd come to slaughter the sleeping troops. Fifteen of Hrothgard's houseguards, surprised on their benches and ruthlessly devoured, and as many again carried away a brutal plunder. Beowulf in his fury now settled that score. He saw the monster in his resting place, war-weary and wrecked, a lifeless corpse, a casualty in the, of the Battle of Herat. The body gaped at the stroke dealt to it after its death. Beowulf cut the corpse's head off. Immediately, the counselors, keeping a lookout with Hrothgar, keeping watching, watching the lake water, saw a heave up in a surge of waves and blood in the backwash. They bowed gray heads, spoke in their sage, experienced way about the good warrior, how they never again expected to, expected to see that prince returning in triumph to their king. It was clear to many that the wolf of the deep had destroyed him forever. 
The ninth hour of that day arrived. The brave shieldings abandoned the cliff top, and the king went home, but sick at heart. Staring at the mirror, the strangers held on. They wished without hope to behold their lord, Beowulf himself. Meanwhile, the sword began to wilt into glory icicles, to slather and thaw. It was a wonderful thing, the way it all melted as ice melts, when the father eases the fetters of the frost and unravels the water ropes. He who wields the power over time and tide, he is the true lord. The geek captain saw treasure in abundance, but carried no spoils from these quarters except for the head and inlaid hilt and embossed with jewels. Its blade had melted and the scrollwork on it burnt. So scalding was the blood of the poisonous fiend who had perished there. Then away he swam, the one who had survived in the fall of his enemies, flailing to the surface. The wide water, the waves and pools were no longer infested once the wandering fiend let go of her life in this unreliable world. The seafarer's leader made for land, resolutely swimming, delighted with his prize, the mighty load he was lugging to the surface. His thanes advanced in a group to meet him, thanking God and taking great delight in seeing their prince back safe and sound. Quickly the hero's helmet and mail shirt were loosed and unlaced. The, quick, the lake settled, clouds darkened above the bloodshot depths. With high hearts they headed away, along footpaths and trails through the fields, roads that they knew each of them wrestling with head were carrying from the lakeside cliff, men kingly in their courage and capable of difficult work. It was a task for four to hoist to hoist Grendel's head on a spear and bear it under strain to the bright hall, but soon enough they neared the palace, fourteen geats in fine fettle, striding across the outlying ground in a delighted throng around their leader. Now it's time to talk about the analysis part. So when we start, Beowulf has decided to go after Grendel's mother after she has attacked the people in Herat Hall. Um, he swims for most of the day down into um, her cavern or wherever she's living. Um, but when he's swimming down there, she swims up and she grabs him and she attacks him, but her attacks bounce off because of his chainmail. Um, but she grabs him and pulls him farther down um, into her cavern. Um, and when Beowulf is down there, he fights hordes of monsters uh, that seem to be serving her. Um, so he fights them off and fights them off. Um, and then he, he eventually kills them all, well, most of them, and gets to her. Um, and he fights her for a while, but his sword, when he hits her, it doesn't do anything. Um, so he sees a giant sword on the wall, um, and he lifts it up. And it's a sword that only he has the strength to lift up. So he lifts it up, and in one slice, cuts off her head. Um, then he sees Grendel... He sees Grendel's corpse laying at the side of the room and in kind of an enraged fury for everything that Grendel has done, he attacks Grendel's corpse um, again and again um, in revenge for uh, all the people that Grendel's mother took um, in addition to all the people that were killed before Beowulf came and killed Grendel. Um, then he notices the blade of the giant sword melting from Grendel's mother's blood. Um, so he takes the hilt, which doesn't melt, of the sword, and he takes Grendel's head, and he starts to swim up to the surface. Um, then it kind of switches to the surface, 
where most of the people are like sad because they think Beowulf is dead after they see like these ripples in the water and they're like he must be dead there's no there's no way that he survived and everyone's like I knew he would um not win against Grendel's mother it was amazing that he beat Grendel but he didn't stand a chance against Grendel's mother um but then he does come up and they're pretty happy about that and he's he's a hero again um the other thing that it it mentioned was that on uh the way up there were no monsters in the water so either Beowulf defeated all of them uh when he uh was going to fight Grendel's mother or they all just left after Grendel's mother died uh, that's the analysis part of lines 1,492 1, to line 1,650. 1, Thank you. Hello, my name is Cooper. Welcome to LitCast. I'll be reading pages 1,651 through 1,810. Beowulf, son of Agathal, spoke. So, son of Halfdane, prince of Sheldings, we are glad to bring this booty from the lake. It is a token of triumph, and we tender it to you. I barely survived the battle underwater. It was hard fought, a desperate affair that could have gone badly if God had not helped me. The outcome would have been quick and fatal, although haunting is hard-edged, I could never bring it to bear in battle. But the Lord of men allowed me to behold, for he often helps the unbefriended. An ancient sword shining on the wall, a weapon made for giants, there for the wielding. Then my moment came in the combat, and I struck the dwellers in the den. Next thing, the desmended sword blade melted, it bloated, and it burned in their rushing blood. I have wrestled the hilt from the enemy's hand, avenged the evil done to the Danes. It is what was due. And this I pledge, O prince of the shieldings, you can sleep secure with your company of troops in Herat Hall. Never need you fear for a single thing of your sept or nation. Young warriors are old, the lane waste of lives that you and your people endure of yore. Then the gold hilt was handed over to the Lord, a relic from long ago from the venerable ruler. The rare smith work was passed on to the prince of the Danes. When those devils perished, once death removed, the murdering guilt steeped. God cursed fiend, eliminating his unholy life. And his mother's as well. It was willed to that king, who of all the lavish gift lords of the north, was the best regarded between the two seas. Hrothgar spoke. He examined the hilt, the relic of old times. It was engraved all over and showed how war first came into the world, and the flood destroyed the tribe of giants. They suffered a terrible severance from the lord. The Almighty made the waters rise, drowned them in the dulge for retribution, in pure gold and lay on the sword guards, there were ruin marking correctly in size, stating and recording for whom the sword had first made and oriented, with its scrollwork hilt. Then everyone hushed as the son of Halfdane spoke the wisdom. A protector of his people, pledged to uphold truth and justice and to respect tradition, is entitled to a fair that this man was born to distinction. Beowulf, my friend, your fame has gone far and wide. You are unknown everywhere, and in all things you are even-tempered. Prudent in result, so I stand affirmed by the promise of friendship we exchange. Forever you will be your people's mainstay and your warrior's helping hand. Remedy was different. This way he behaved on Agualau's sons. His rise in the world brought little joy to the Danish people, only death and destruction. 
He vented his rage on his men and caroused with killed his own comrades, a Paraf king, who cut himself off from his own kind. Even through Almighty God, he made him eminent and powerful and marked him for, from the start for a happy life. But a change happened. He grew bloodthirsty, gave no more rings to honor the Danes. He suffered in the end for having plagued his people for so long. His life lost happiness. So learn from this and understand true values. I, who tell you, have wintered in wisdom. It is a great wonder how Almighty God in his magnificence favors our race with rank and scope and the gift of wisdom. His stay is wide. Sometimes he allows the mind of man of distinguished birth to follow its bent, grants him fulfillment and felicity on earth, and forts to command in his own country. He permits him to lord it in many lands until the man in his unthinkingness forgets that it is will never end for him. He indulges his desires, illness, and old age mean nothing to him. His mind is untroubled by envy or malice or the thought of enemies with their hate honed swords. The whole world conforms to his will. He is kept from the worst until an element of overwhelming enters him and takes hold while his soul's guard. Its sentry drowses and groan into distraction. A killer stalks him. An archer who draws a deadly bow and then the man hit in the heart. The arrow flies beneath his defenses. The deviously prompting of the demon start. His old possessions seem paltry to him now. He convicts and resents dishonors customs and bestows no gold. And because of good things that heavenly powers gave him in the past, he ignores the shape of things to come. Then finally the end arrives when the body he was lent collapses and falls prey to its death. Ancestral possessions and the goods he hoarded are inherited by another who lets them go with a liberal hand. O flower of warriors, beware of that trap. Choose, dear Beowulf, the better part internal rewards. Do not give way to pride for a brief while your strength is in bloom, but it fades quickly and soon there will follow illness or the sword to lay you low. Or a sudden fire or a surge of water or jabbing blade or javelin from the air or repelling age, your piercing eye will dim and darken. Your death will arrive, dear warrior, to sweep you away. Just so I ruled the King Dane's country for fifty years, defended them in wartime with spear and sword against constant assaults by many tribes. I came to believe my enemies had faded from the face of the earth. Still, what happened was a hard reversal. From the bliss to grief, Grendel struck after lying in wait. He laid waste to the land, and from the moment my mind was in dread of his depredation. So I raised God in his heavenly glory that I live to behold this head dripping blood and that after such harrowing I can put upon it in triumph at last. Take your place then with pride and pleasure and move to feast. Tomorrow morning our treasures will be shared and showered upon you. The geet was elated and gladly obeyed. The old man's bidding he sat on the bench and soon all was restored. The same as before. Happiness came back, the hall was thronged and a banquet set forth. Black night fell and covered them in darkness. Then the company rose from the great old campaigner, then gray-haired prince was ready for bed, and a need for rest came over the brave shield-bearing Geet. He was a weary seafarer far from home, so immensely a house guarded guided him out, one whose official entailed looking after, 
Whatever a thane on the road in those days might need or require, it was noble courtesy. The great heart rested, the hall towered, gold shingling and gabbled, and the guests slept in until the black raven was recusely announced heaven's joy and a hurry of brightness overran the shadows. Warriors rose quickly, impatient to be off. Their own country was beckoning the nobles and the bold voyager longed to be aboard his distant boat. Then that stalwart fighter ordering Herantin to brought to Unferth and bade Unherth take the sword and thanked him for lending it. He said he had found it in a front it in a battle and powerful help, but he put no blame on the blade's cutting edge he considered a man. The passage begins with a brief account of the fight. Then Beowulf presents a sword to a Rathgar. Hrathgar talks praise about Beowulf, and Beowulf is then contrasted against the king Hermod, who failed terribly. Hrathgar warns of the dangers of power and how they can eat away at someone. Beowulf is then talked up, and a feast is thrown in his honor, where everyone can stay the night and live in peace.